Welcome to Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. I'm your host, Tammy Hooker. And I'm producer Mary Jacobs. We're glad you found our little on-air hangout with stories from inside of Plano and just outside of what you might expect. Many of the people that, um, you know, I talked to moved here to get out of Dallas. And uh, now this plan is turning it into Dallas. Collin County and the region will continue to grow because of our favorable business climate, our quality of life, and our relatively low cost of living. So uh, the question is really whether or not Plano wants to continue as a community that welcomes growth and change consistent with our history and our track record, um, or whether or not we, we do not want to embrace change any longer. The last few years have been good ones for the City of Excellence. Plano was named number three on Money Magazine's 2016 list of best places to live and became the new regional home of Toyota and Liberty Mutual. But there's a movement afoot of concerned citizens who believe our suburban way of life is threatened. And the fight centers around one issue, the building of high-density apartments in Plano. And that will be on the minds of many voters when they head to the polls on May 6th. In this episode, we hope to shed some light on the apartment question. But we need to warn you, it's more complicated than you might think. Seemingly smart choices can have unintended consequences. We're exploring both sides of this issue. And in this portion of the podcast, we're sticking to the facts. We're hearing from two key players in Plano's development debate and an independent expert. We'll offer our analysis in the wrap up. If you're an undecided voter or have been confused by the rhetoric, we ask that you reserve judgment and listen to the whole podcast before you make up your mind. And know that the issue of apartments in Plano has gotten wrapped up with other political issues in a way many voters may not realize, and in ways that even some of the organizers themselves may not have intended. More on that later. Finally, remember our mayor and city council members make many decisions beyond the scope of whether to build the next proposed apartment or not. We're focusing on that single issue here. But we hope you will not vote based on just one issue. We hope you'll take time to carefully review the voters' guides. You can find some helpful links on the planopodcast.com episode resources page. With that said, we're going in. I'm Jim Dillaboo, longtime resident of Plano. Been here uh, since 1987. Dillavu is part of a group of citizens called Plano Future, which took the city to court to fight the current development plan called Plano Tomorrow. The citizens recognize um, that they're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. The excessive density uh, is something that Plano really was not laid out for. The Plano Future group has endorsed a slate of candidates who've agreed to pledge to hold off on building any more apartments, at least over the next few years. 
They say that the addition of high-density apartments will exacerbate our traffic and put too much demand on our schools and infrastructure. City with the Plan on Tomorrow plan has set in motion a plan that will see thousands, tens of thousands of new apartments being built. And uh, even if we look at it today, um, we've seen a lot of new complexes go up, but there are an additional 10,300 high-density apartments that have already been approved but not yet built. About 2,200 of those are under construction, but the remaining 8,100 have not started yet as there are follow-on phases or in areas where the developer is still working on funding and market demand. So um, those are already out there, and then the plan sets in motion, you know, massive areas where there will be additional uh, high-density development going on, is that this is really all about money. The high-density apartments allow 700 units to be built on land, less land than 200 traditional apartments. So there's a lot more profit in the, for the developers. And the developers are continually seeking to push more development in areas where it was never intended and to redevelop existing areas to cram in more people. And uh, that's just excessive demand on our infrastructure, on our streets, parks, schools, uh, and everything that, uh, that we have in the city. We need a moratorium because there's a lot approved out there. We need to we need to really see how that goes. We can't stop those, and uh, we need to stop more apartments until we really get a handle on it. Let's pause here for some definitions. Apartments come in many forms, and they're worth defining as well. Garden-style apartments are two to three stories high, less dense, with amenities like pools, play areas, and surface parking. They typically offer larger apartments, two or three bedrooms, suitable for families. Often the communities are gated and fenced. Apartments in mixed-use developments typically follow the pattern you see at the shops of Legacy. Four or more stories with garage parking and walkable areas of retail and offices nearby. They're more likely to be smaller units, many or one bedrooms, appealing to young single professionals or perhaps empty nesters. A third category are high-density standalone apartments, like the Broadview Complex at Preston and Plano Parkway. These are typically four or five stories with attached parking garages, but aren't part of a walkable complex with retail and offices. Understand the city's Plano Tomorrow plan doesn't actually dictate development per se. It's a policy statement that lays out an overall vision for Plano's development in the next 15 to 25 years. Every new development still must be considered individually. And if it requires new zoning, that requires approval by the Planning and Zoning Commission and ultimately by a vote from City Council. So how much undeveloped land are we talking about? Unlike nearby suburbs like Frisco and Allen, Plano's almost built out. I'm Christina Day, Director of Planning for the City of Plano. We have about 2,700 acres of land that's undeveloped in Plano. That's about 6% of the area of Plano. So that's primarily zoned for commercial development, and it's concentrated largely along our expressway corridors. 
Play will be completing some major development projects such as Legacy West in the northwest part of the city and Heritage Creekside, which is along 190 near Collin Creek Mall. Downtown is also likely to con continue to advance as an arts district and development of the Cotton Belt Dart Line will probably impact Southeast Plano and the development opportunities there. We also anticipate seeing rel redevelopment along the US 75 corridor. Uh, such as the transformation of the Texas Instruments campus at Legacy into the Legacy Central development that's ongoing today. And perhaps we'll even see some movement on Collin Creek Mall. So there will be continued pressure to build housing due to the regional growth. Many numbers have been bandied about in the debate. Day says the number of apartments in the pipeline is considerably lower than Dillavu's estimate currently 34,000 apartments in Plano. And so that number, um, while it will increase over time based on existing zoning, um, is not likely to, let's say, double or something along those lines because strictly the availability of land. Redevelopment is challenging and it's expensive. So uh, we're, we're thinking that it's likely that Plano may add somewhere between um, around 6,000 new units over the next 20 years. To help us understand this issue, we talked to an economist. Uh, my name is Ray Perryman. I'm president of the Perryman Group, which is an economic research firm uh, here in Texas. There is a conception out there and in, in, in a number of places that all multifamily is bad. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's a conception that some people have, and that's certainly not the case. Uh, uh, the, the, the key thing is, again, what type of development are you uh, having? There's some very well-off folks who live in multifamily housing. You could preclude yourself from a lot of good opportunities, a lot of things that developers expect to put into the planned areas they do right now if you cut yourself off completely from multifamily. So let's take a closer look at each key concern. First issue, traffic. Will more apartments mean more problems for Plano's already congested traffic? Understand that traffic is a local and regional issue. Also, much of the increased congestion is due to more people driving through Plano. According to the Plano Police Department, three out of five traffic stops in Plano involve drivers who do not live in Plano. That's going to increase as nearby suburbs like McKinney and Allen continue to grow. As Christina Day noted, most of the undeveloped land is currently commercially zoned. If apartments are ruled out, developers can still build retail or office space on that land, and they can do that without rezoning. Because Plano is already over-retailed, Day says the most likely scenario is office developments. Office buildings will tend to be taller uh, than uh, than uh, than apartments, and with the way people manage space these days, you tend to have about one employee for every 125 feet or so, which is much more dense than what you have in an apartment. Uh, and people always, you know, every day have to get to the office. So at least during the week, during the five days of the week, you tend to cre create more traffic uh, density with uh, with office work than you do apartments, but both are going to put more people on the roads and, and then have some impact on, on traffic density. I think the most likely biggest challenge uh, Plano is going to have in the future, given the fact that it's pretty well built out now, would be the traffic that would come from, from office buildings going, gro going higher. It's probably going to be the biggest challenge that you would have. For the most part, that that's not true on the zoning. For instance, um, you know, 
they try to create an image that they're going to be dense, and they've allowed some very dense development in legacy. But the zoning that is on a lot of this land is more for suburban office space, and it's designated. Um, they have a, a requirement that's called floor-to-area ratio, and that actually says on a parcel of land how much office space you know, or, or building space can be placed. And these were uh, zoned for suburban style offices, uh, you know, two, three story at most, um, with with plenty of land for landscaping and parking. And, uh, you know, if used as such, they don't really create that much traffic. For having more housing closer to the job centers, I think while, yes, there are more cars on the road, you're actually preventing people having to drive a long commute, and therefore the traffic is better, the air quality is better, less noise, things along those lines. So providing the housing closer in is actually better for the commute and for transportation than requiring people to go to the edge of development to find housing options. Consider the proposed development of the Haggard Farm near Spring Creek and the Dallas North Tollway. In 2014, neighbors fought rezoning that would have allowed as many as 4,000 new apartments on that property and won. But now developers are considering plans that do not include multifamily residential, but could include multiple mid-rise office buildings, up to 13 stories. That will likely pack even more people and cars into the area. And they'll need to drive in and drive out during the day. Allowing some multifamily housing could help hold down traffic and decrease the overall density of the development. Jobs and business provide economic stability to our community that help us maintain a very low tax rate compared to other cities in our area. And as the region continues to grow, providing housing options close to job centers will actually reduce congestion because people are able and have the opportunity to have shorter commutes. So if people, these options may not always be multifamily, though. The storyline that... uh keeps getting put out there is, oh, well, businesses want their employees, you know, to be able to live here and they won't come here if there's not um, places for their people. And, uh, you know, I just say that that's fundamentally untrue. There are lots of other places um, for those people to live. For instance, Austin Ranch, um, which is just west of Plano, uh, on Windhaven Road uh, is only two miles from Legacy West. And uh, currently there's 3,500 apartments in Austin Ranch, but, um, you know, the zoning out there already exists. It's largely uh, controlled by Billingsley. Uh, there's already zoning for a total of 13,500 apartments. So that's lots of options uh, close by to Legacy, much closer than most of Plano. An interesting aside, right now traffic is worse than usual, in part due to construction on the Dallas North Tollway and on 75, and due to a signal retiming project. It has to get worse before it gets better. So as you're retiming, you, you obviously don't retime, just hit a reset button and everything comes online all at once. They're working systematically through the city. 
Another concern related to apartments are the schools. Could too much development and too many additional apartments place too many demands on Plano schools? Um, there will be issues with um, that kind of crowding. Creating a, a problem on schools, it will create boundary issues, the need for new schools. It will create, um, you know, dislocation uh, as far as people and their neighborhood schools. Excessive concentration uh, of these apartments can lead to other problems when we talk about schools. Um, specifically, that uh, <clears throat> you know, it's it's no secret that um, children that live in apartments as a group are more challenged because they're often one-parent families. Dillavu adds that an influx of apartment-dwelling students could ultimately lead many families to leave the school system actually decreasing the diversity of Plano schools. But the main target of the Plano Future Group is high-density apartments. The group doesn't have an issue with the garden-style apartments that currently dot our community. However, Day counters that garden-style apartments actually have a more significant impact on the schools. Here she cites statistics collected by the city. Mixed-use type of multifamily development that we're seeing today is generating about 2.4 students per acre, whereas single-family products generate up to three students per acre. And then traditional garden-style apartments are 4.8 students per acre. Day adds that with the high value of land in Plano, developers aren't interested in building additional new garden-style apartments that typically attract families nor are they interested in building new low-income or affordable housing. The land is just too expensive. But to get a sense of how apartments are affecting our schools, we asked Plano ISD for performance metrics, facts and projections that might lend some insight. We reached out to the district to answer some questions. One key concern of the apartment opponents is school overcrowding. So, we asked the district that question. Are they overcrowded, or do they anticipate being overcrowded? The district projects that even with the planned apartments underway, enrollment is on the decline. Plano ISD's enrollment today is a little over 54,000. The district projects that it will decrease to a little over 53,000 students by 2022. Why the decline? The population of Plano is aging, and as we get older, we have fewer kids. In the 2000 census, there were about 18,000 children aged four and under in Plano. By 2010, there were only about 16,000. Thus, kindergarten entry rates have been in steady decline, and as fewer kindergartners make their way through the other grades, the end result is steadily declining overall enrollment. Some point to portable buildings on PISD campuses as signs of overcrowding. So, we asked about portable buildings across the district. There are currently a total of 34 portable buildings in place within Plano ISD's 72 campuses. According to the district, portable buildings will be gone in 18 months, mostly through the 2016 bond program. Four are at Wells, 16 at Plano East, two at Renner, and eight at the Gwynn Center. The four at Andrews will be moved this summer as they're no longer needed due to declining enrollment. 
some apartment opponents voice concerns about the type of student that apartments bring into the schools. So we asked, how many students are in multifamily now? And how has it impacted performance? For the 2015-16 school year, about a quarter of the Plano ISD students were those who do not live in single-family residences. One performance measure of our schools is the completion rate, which include graduation rates, GED recipients, and students continuing for a fifth year. Completion rates have held steady at slightly above 98% for the past five years. Another performance measure, SAT scores, have declined only slightly. A two-point decline in reading and a three-point decline in math over the past five years. Our average scores remain well above the state and national averages. Whew, that is a lot of data. Bottom line, there are currently no signs that Plano ISD is becoming overcrowded. But Delavu worries that while mixed-use apartments now attract childless millennials or professionals, that could change as they age. What the reality is, is that um, these apartments are relatively new. And when apartments are new and they're renting at a premium, they don't rent to families because those families have other financial priorities. But as those uh, apartments age and that premium falls, they will become more appealing to families and they'll begin to have significant numbers of children. Also, people might move into an apartment with no children, but over time, they start a family or over time, other family members move in with them. However, that's speculation. The economic climate is likely to be the bigger driver of how well these apartments age. If employment remains high, rents and occupancy will stay high, and the landlords will have an incentive and resources to maintain the apartments. If employers leave, both apartments and single-family homes are likely to suffer. And Day takes issue with the assertion that the presence of apartments lower property values, which continues to rise in Plano. Downtown, as far as values are concerned, is downtown Plano. We've added nearly a thousand new housing units, most of which are apartment over the, over the past 15 years. And during that same time frame, the property values have increased by $76 million, and we've added another $130 million in investment in this area. So to me, um, the numbers haven't borne that out with regard to downtown development. To be fair, downtown is also benefiting from the addition of the DART rail and its proximity to the city line development at the next DART stop. Taxes are another question to consider. Apartment opponents want to limit the undeveloped land to commercial development only, as it's currently zoned, because there's a tax advantage. Apartments, of course, pay taxes, but it's generally at a much lower rate than homes. Right now, uh, houses make up about 55% of the city's property taxes, while apartments make up 7%. On the basis of living units, then, uh, apartments pay at less than half the rate of houses. By based on population, the number of residents in those units, apartments pay property taxes at about 60% of the rate per person that live in a single-family home. But, you know, there's no doubt that commercial development actually then pays more in taxes than it consumes in service. The commercial 
space is probably going to add more value per square foot than than, than your typical multifamily complex. Um, single family housing tends to be uh, have higher property values, but by the same token, it's spread over. Um, uh, you know, there, there are fewer units per acre, so so that can trade either way. You do have with multifamily more people concentrated in the area, and consequently more demand on your services, and that's something to be considered. Although there again, uh, it depends on the kind of multifamily properties that are developed and and how they're developed and what's developed in conjunction with them and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, a commercial property has a higher value per square foot than residential property, whether it's single family or multifamily. So the question becomes. Should Plano voters choose candidates based on a pledge to effectively place a moratorium on building any additional apartments in Plano in the next few years? Christina Day believes taking the apartment option out of the city's development toolkit could discourage development that would ultimately benefit Plano. A great example would be Collin Creek Mall. You know, if Collin Creek Mall were to come in as a redevelopment project, whether that included reuse of the existing buildings or um, not, it in order to make the financial analysis work, it's likely that there could be some housing component to that. Additionally, to help support the retail in the market, it would be nice to have additional housing there. So that's an example of would the community support additional housing in the form of either single family or multifamily on that site that would add to our total housing units. But again, that's yet to be seen. I think our challenge in control is really the lack of available land that we discussed earlier. We have so few remaining vacant parcels that it's driving up the cost of land. While we may want certain things as a community, um, the market will dictate whether or not we can have those things. Those within the Plano Future Group believe that it's time to put the brakes on development. Plano's got a lot of great things going on. And the reason it does is it's a great suburban city, has a great quality of life, and uh, has great schools. But what we see, and uh, the people that are concerned about it, is that, in fact, um, you know, then we have an element that's trying to take advantage of that and do all kinds of things that, that we see as destructive to those qualities uh, rather than a, as an enhancement. Um, you know, what we're trying to do is slow up the rush to build all this high-density residential and to see that what, what does get built is of high quality and built in such a way that it truly adds to the city. And Perryman encourages voters to look at the whole picture. You know, I would say that uh, that there are ways to do it well and there are ways to not do it well. And I think the most important thing would be not to say, let's don't do it, but say, let's look at it realistically. And if it is appropriate for the community, let's do it and do it well. And with that, we've reached the end of our conversation on the topic of apartments in Plano with Jim DeLaVue, Christina Day, and Dr. Ray Perryman. Stay with us now for our wrap-up, where we give you a peek behind the scenes with myself, producer Mary Jacobs, and a special guest. After all, what's the coolest little on-air join in Plano without sharing a little back corner booth discussion among friends? While the first half of the podcast is factual, our wrap-up is where Mary and I offer our opinions and analysis with a special guest, 
Because of the political nature of this episode, we want to take a moment for full disclosure relative to the May 6th election. This is Tammy Hooker speaking. Mary's husband, Steve Levine, led a neighborhood group fighting the Haggard Farm development in West Plano in 2014. They have publicly supported two city council candidates. I have endorsed four city council candidates. Our wrap-up guest, David Smith, is a consultant to yet another city council candidate, but not one of the ones that Mary and I have endorsed. We're asking you to put aside labels and candidate connections and just hear David's perspective, which we think is valuable. Hello, I'm David Smith, former Plano City Council member, 93 through 99. Been in the community since 89, current member of the Plano Homeowners Council. You've got a very good handle on all the the facts from the uh, previous interviews and your research. You know, I personally have been involved in the apartment issue uh, from the time that I arrived in Plano. And by, you know, something I'll add on the history that wasn't earlier covered uh, when I was in city council in the 90s, the projected build-out population uh, for Plano was 350,000. I understand you were a vocal opponent of many apartment buildings in Plano in the 90s. Uh, yes. So I, I was part of the effort to you know, tamp down apartment growth at the time, uh, try and restrict the zoning. And actually, ahead of my getting on city council in 93, uh, there was already a realization that uh, we didn't want to repeat what had happened further south. So uh, there were some uh, density restrictions put in. Uh, there couldn't be more than a certain amount of apartments you know, within a one-mile radius and so forth. And the uh, zoning was generally uh, restricted to strips along uh, major corridors. Uh, relatively small uh, apartment complexes. You know, paradoxically, this is now as a lot of that is getting built out. You know, this is leading to the impression: Wow, Plano is just really full of apartments. You drive down Preston Road or whatever, you see lots of apartments. But you know, they're along these uh, strips. They're not throughout the fabric of the city. So, would you agree with strategy now of saying no high density apartments? Oh, oh no, I would not. You know, at one point in my my journey, I was simply opposed to more apartments, keeping the numbers limited and all that. Uh, but then the, you know, the new urbanism came along, the, the concept of mixed-use developments instead of single-use developments, and that made uh, a lot of sense. And you know, we started in downtown Plano, uh, then in the Legacy Park uh, development, and I, you know, I see those type of apartments as making uh, a lot of sense. You know, one milestone we we did reach during my, my period of activism was you know, a declaration of being no more garden apartments. The higher density apartments actually make more sense. When you've got people in a relatively small geographic area, then they can be close to retail, close to office, close to amenities that might be part of the apartment complex. What about some of the apartments we're seeing coming up, though? Like there's the one at Preston and Plano Parkway. That's not really like mixed in with a, with offices and eateries and the way that the shops of Legacy are. Do you have an issue with that? Yeah, I don't believe that was a very good development. And unfortunately, that, that helped spark the, the current anti-apartment movement. 
if I'm understanding what I'm hearing from the Plano Future folks, they feel it's important to punish city council, current incumbent city council and incumbent mayor for that decision and maybe some others. What do you say? You have to move forward. You know, as Ray Perriman said, you've got to look at each uh, opportunity on its own merits. Why not just say, okay, stop, <laughs> no more people in Plano? Well, of course, any moratorium would you know, not affect currently approved projects, current zoning, so forth. So if a group gets a majority in the city council and declares a, a moratorium on, on new apartments, they'll be disappointed because for a number of years, you'll still see new apartments uh, going up. In a lot of cases, well, the land may stay stay vacant, they'll, they'll wait for another city council to come along. Some cases, there may be uh, infill with car washes, self-storage, so forth. And that often ends up uh, what you get when when landowners gets desperate to uh, turn over the land. As a guy who was opposed to apartments, <laughs> why are you not supporting the Plano Future state of candidates? Well, their primary focus is actually a different issue. What's that? The Plano Equal Rights Ordinance. What's your evidence? During my engagement on this issue, folks who were part of the Plano Future Group were, were not there. You know, they, they lived in the community but didn't seem to have any particular interest in uh, apartments. The Plano Equal Rights Ordinance is actually an update to uh, anti-discrimination language. Uh, that had been on the books. Uh, that came along quickly from their perspective. There was uh, some heated opposition. You know, council elected not to, to pause to talk about it more. I said, no, let, let's, let's take a vote. And they, they did. A petition to uh, have a citizen referendum. Uh, the petition was rejected on technical grounds, which probably made them more upset. Around that time, the zoning case you uh, mentioned at the auto dealership land came along and the comprehensive plan update uh, was nearing its conclusion. Now, this was a multi-year process. Uh, during that process, city staff, council members you know, were begging the public for input and they got a lot of input sort of in, in the, the final months of the process, the uh, what are now called the Plain of Future people saw, oh, this is a, a hot topic that uh, we can get a lot of citizens engaged in. You know, they became opponents of the Plano Tomorrow Plan. And again, the city decided, you know, we've had this process going for many, a uh, couple of years or so. Yeah, we really don't need to talk about it anymore. You know, let, let's let's vote on this and move on. And they did. And uh, the group, the same group of people, did a uh, petition for a referendum that was rejected on uh, technical grounds. Kept the the movement going. They have moved on to recruit people to run for city council. You know, their their objective is to get a, a majority on council that, that's. Uh, opposed to the equal rights ordinance, you know, a, a, a little byproduct is that they'll, they'll vote against uh, apartment development. So I'm going to add a couple of facts to this. Um, uh, first off, we interviewed Jim Dillavu, who is with Plano Future, and I do know that he was involved in the Plano Tomorrow discussion. So I don't want to paint him, at least personally, as someone who just jumped in at the last minute. And he does know his stuff. I mean, that's obvious, I think, to me. Secondly, there are other groups in play here. It's not clear to me that the Plano Future folks 
themselves are opposed to the ERO. But I think that other groups have come along and that the slate of candidates is is interested in reversing the ERO. They were all for at a rally held by the three other groups that have have endorsed them. One of the candidates, Ed Acklin, was he was in the Dallas Morning News carrying the petition to reverse the the ERO to to, uh, to the city. This has been around for a few weeks now, and I, I'm not hearing any statements from any of those candidates. Oh yeah, yes, you're correct. There are a number of uh, homeowner association leaders and and others that have have gotten wrapped in into the the movement because uh, you know they still have concerns about apartments. And again, that was you know maybe part part of the vision of the, of the folks opposed to the ERO. They said, well, we we can take this other issue and and uh, uh, perhaps uh, build a majority. You know, interestingly enough, their candidate for mayor is, is, was not their first choice. They had somebody else lined up. That individual is moving out of the city, maybe has moved by now. Late last year, they they had to recruit another candidate. They, they reached out to a number of people. Some of them called me. They want me to run for, for mayor. You know, but you know, I'm in favor of the Equal Rights Ordinance. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. What does the ERO have to do with the Plano Tomorrow Plan or high-density apartments? Do they, are they correlated in any way in your mind? Uh, well, the correlation, and this is not, not universal uh, you know, among uh, the citizens supporting this light, but it's an appeal to bigotry. What makes you think that? Well, the same same folks will, will talk about the evils of restricting religious liberty, yeah, meaning reli- liberty to discriminate, you know, or also also speak of the dangers of letting those people into our city, and they use those words. I understand there's Liberty Institute is involved in this somehow. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, Kelly Shackelford is is common denominator through all this. What is the Liberty Institute? Well, they are a conservative Christian outfit, uh, specialized in constitutional law, and you know they're promoting what they call religious liberty. And sometimes they'll align you know, with the ACLU or groups on, on the other side of the spectrum, but, but much of the time it's uh, promoting the, the religious liberty to discriminate. And so that makes people afraid, and fear is a tactic in politics to get people to think that the developers are out to get us, city council's out to get us, everybody's in collusion to take away your freedoms. So, I mean, like, I get it. One of the things that's bothered me is my uh, community's next door. On next door, somebody supporting the candidate for mayor talked about how you know, Plano is putting in more apartments than any other city. We're, we're getting denser and denser. You know, a few days ago, the Dallas Morning News had an article about the, the apartment building boom. You, you, know, you see Plano, first quarter 2013 uh, apartments started. Now, that sounds like a lot. Uh, but you, know, you look just to our south in Richardson, 3,337. Uh, just to our north, Frisco, 6,385. 
to our north in Allen, 5,319. What's happening is the exact opposite of, of what they're saying is happening, that we're building all the apartments in and, and our surrounding cities or, or, or maintaining the suburban life. Do you think that, that that's a, a strategy now to reach more people in communities? Oh, the, oh, oh that was their strategy. You know, I, I've seen messages they sent out to people, you know, telling them what to put on uh, next door, and they told them the technique for el- eliminating apartment dwellers from, from those receiving the information. Mary's eyes are as big as saucers right now. Yeah, yeah, I can probably yeah, find at least one of those. So there's a group of people that are always voters, and they're, they dig in like full-time jobs to, to find out what's really behind the candidates that are running. But then most people are like, whatever. You know, what sound bites make sense to me and trust that the messages are true and authentic. They're not going to dig in. Is it possible that if candidates that want to do an effective moratorium, not a legal moratorium, like we already realized that can't really happen, but like an effective moratorium. It could be in combination if they get enough people that are in that belief system that we could also lose the ERO. What happens to the reputation of Plano if, if those two things happen, do you think? I think there's really no way to quietly reverse the ERO. I think it's going to bring a lot of attention to Plano. And for worse, I think it's the kind of, I mean, it's just a great narrative. (laughs) This great, growing, fast-growing city of all these educated people, and they're suddenly changing on this. What's that about? Why do people get bored with facts, right? So there are lots of facts, (laughs) seriously, but they don't sound sexy. Mm -hmm. Like, they're coming to get you. They're not, it's not that fear marketing tactic of everybody's coming to get you and we're going to save you. That's what's happening. Defending a fear-based argument like that is just boring and excruciating for most people. So I hope they listen to this and it's not quite as boring and excruciating as we dive through the details um, on this, but you can really get lost easy. I don't know if it's complicated on purpose or it's just complicated, but it takes some effort to slog through all of this? I think it's, it's a really simple narrative on the Plano future side. Apartment density, Mayor Harry's in the pocket of the developers. The narrative on the other side is not as easy because it's a complicated question. One of the candidates characterized Plano future as Plano yesterday. And I think... I think the point that is there is that we'd like to maintain the suburban character, but to some extent, that boat has sailed. We're already on 275,000 people. There's suburban character in the neighborhoods, but there's other ways to live here, too. And some of them are urban. Did y'all, you, David, you've already said that when you were a young professional, you lived in apartments. Is that right? Uh, Yes, I was actually a a condo townhouse. Yes. Right. How about you, Miss Mary? Oh, yeah. I lived in apartments um, most of my 20s. Right. Me too. I lived in the village, downtown Dallas. <laughs> Were we trying to, like, disrupt the whole city that we lived in when we lived in apartments? Probably not. No. <laughs> so apartment dwellers, I think, young professional apartment dwellers, want to either live close to where they work or close to where the cool people are. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the cool people. I don't mind being where they're working. I don't mind being where the cool people are. Mm -hmm. Keeps the city vibrant. I'm not afraid of that. 
I would much rather have my kids graduate from college or school, whatever they decide to do, and come live in cool apartments in Plano close to me rather than saying, hey, I'm out. Well, my son lives in Uptown. I'd much rather he lived in Plano, but, you know, Uptown is cooler. I think we all lived in apartments growing up, and I'm not scared of myself. I think people are very, you know, much the same. If I had been able to live in Plano in a cool apartment and work, I would have loved that. Someone in the paper today, in a letter to the editor, said that Plano Plano is on a downward spiral. So where's the downward spiral? We're absolutely on an upward spiral. I mean, there may be some developments we shouldn't have made. Okay, I agree. But there... (laughs) It's a hysteria. Some pocketed voters are emotional voters, period. Most people are. So that's the danger with local elections that have arguably way more impact on your daily life than upstream elections. These are where it does count. Mm -hmm. If you have time to, to look and dig, do it for the local elections because that affects your tax rate. That affects your streets. That affects your quality of life directly. And it just blows me away that you have emotional voters when it comes to a local election. I get it with the national election. How do you know these people really? But we have a chance to know these people. We have a chance to go to the forums. We have a chance to ask them questions. We have an opportunity to send them emails and to dig into it. And I feel like it's a big responsibility that we really do have to look into it and to get the facts out there. So I'd feel really strongly about local elections and emotional voters, because there's really no excuse for not looking at the facts. Unfortunately, there's a smaller turnout for these local elections, and you know, you know small groups of emotionally or otherwise motivated people uh, can swing an ele- election. The thing that's dangerous about this particular issue is that there's a, there's a perceived perhaps smokescreen going on here. And you do have a responsibility to dig. And there's always buyer beware with single issue candidates. People debating about what do we want Plano to look like next? What do we want our city to be about? What do we stand for? That's a that's a good conversation to have if we can have an emotion, not too emotionally and based on facts. I agree with that. I like seeing multiple candidates yeah. running for office. Okay. I think that's cool. So it's up to us to make sure that we are educated voters and, you know, look at them all individually not as a group, and find out where they, where they land on the, maybe the five facts that you, are the most, you think are the most important for the city. Like, have they been on a board before? What have they done to serve the community? What do they understand about city finance? What do they understand about, well, the school district is not under the city's domain. They do need to work together, and anyone who doesn't understand how the schools are funded or fed with students and the nine other cities that we take care of in Plano ISD on the fringes of it, you have, they have to be knowledgeable about all those things. You know, pick five. I don't know what they pick, but more, more than one, more than two. You know, for me, I, I look at how will they approach uh, the local issues. And maybe not so much their position on some issue du jour, but you know, how will they engage the community, engage with other stakeholders? I'm Charles Johnson, audio engineer for Plano Podcast. For more information, visit planopodcast.com and click on episode resources. We've reached the end of another edition of Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. We hope you've enjoyed today's topics and discussion. Remember to support us on Patreon and to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Send your feedback, ideas, and comments our way. Thanks for listening and subscribing. We'll be waiting for you at our back corner booth. Until next time.